Man, isn't that great? Wow. Dude, listen, I could do that all day long, and I could watch that all day long. Isn't that awesome? Well, make no mistake about it, and I'm not going to apologize today. What I'm going to talk to you about is baptism, all right? So get ready for it. Two times in this passage of Scripture, baptism is mentioned. In fact, you cannot read the New Testament without seeing that baptism is extremely important. Not only for believers, baptism is extremely important for the church. And I know a lot of people have questions about baptism. I preached this same sermon just an hour ago at the 9 o'clock service. And I had several people come up to me and said, Thank you for preaching a sermon on baptism. You answered the questions that I have about it. And I hope that happens for you today as well as we look into God's Word and see exactly what it says about baptism. So we're going to ask four questions and give a biblical answer to all four of these questions. Number one, what is baptism? What is New Testament baptism? The answer is very simply this. Baptism is an outward symbol of an inward change that has happened because we got saved. Okay, It's an outward symbol of an inner change that happened in my life when I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. Now what happens after the gospel was proclaimed so clearly and so powerfully by Peter is this. Number one, the first thing that happened when he preached the gospel was conviction. Conviction fell on the hearts of those who were there. We read about this in verse 37. Now when they heard this, that is they heard the message that Peter preached, they were cut to the heart. Do you see that? They were cut to the heart. The word means that they were pierced or they were stabbed. In fact, in this series from Acts, we're talking about living in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it all starts right here with the work that the Holy Spirit does in our hearts. When the Holy Spirit gets a hold of a person who has heard the truth of the gospel, this is what happens. You get cut to the heart. It's like God's stabbing you with his word into your heart and you're convicted. I mean, when Peter preached this message, they didn't even have time to sing just as I am. Huh? They didn't even have time to give an invitation because the people spoke out and said, Hey, what do we do? What should we do? Every time I read this, I'm reminded of uh, the, the very first church I worked in as a, as a pastor was uh, a youth pastor position at the Enid Free Will Baptist Church. Our pastor there was Buddy Drake. He's a, he's a cowboy preacher and I mean every week I mean he just laid it out for us. He preached the truth and he preached hard and, and we had been praying, the whole church had been praying for this big cowboy that uh, was related to somebody in the church but man he was a hard sinner. I, he had never been to church before, didn't know anything about God but boy, we had been praying for him and one Sunday he shows up to church. And Buddy is up there preaching, man. I mean, he's just, he is just telling it like it is. And Buddy looked down to read a passage of Scripture. And when he looked up, there was that big cowboy standing right there in front of him. I mean, this is right in the middle of the service, right in the middle of his sermon. Buddy looks up, and I, you could just tell the shocked expression on Buddy's face when he looked at that guy. Later on, I asked him, he said, I was afraid the guy was going to whip me. <laughs> and Buddy says, what do you want? And the guy says, 
I want what you're delivering, man. <laughs> I want Jesus. And right there, Buddy came down and he led the guy to Christ and the whole church celebrated, all right? I'm telling you, when the gospel is clearly preached and the Holy Spirit has a chance to work in people's heart, he will convict us. And I want you to know, I pray this every Sunday when we come here. Lord, would you please convict those who need to be convicted? Comfort those who need to be comforted. But dear Lord, show us how you see us. And if we need to be convicted, Lord, please convict us. They wanted to immediately know what they needed to do. They were convicted because of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They realized through, through Peter's preaching that they had participated in the death of Jesus Christ. We need to understand that we did as well. And even though we may not have nailed those nails into his hands and feet, we nailed him to the cross because of our sins. And so when you're confronted with the truth of the gospel, you realize there are some things I need to change in my life. I need to turn my life around. That's the Holy Spirit convicting you. It happened right here in this passage. Peter preached just like I'm preaching the word of truth. The Holy Spirit started working just as he's working in this service and people were convicted. The second thing that happened was this, conversion. Look at verse 38. Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That word repent is a rich word in the New Testament. It is a word which literally means to change your mind. When you repent, you change the way you've been thinking about life and about sin and about the way you're living life. So there's a change of mind, but it's more than just a change of mind. You also change the direction of your life. You're headed on the broad way that leads to destruction. You repent of your sins, there's a change of mind, but you also change the direction you're going. And no longer are you walking down that broad road that leads to destruction, you start walking down that narrow path that leads to everlasting life. Because you see, church, we can't keep going the way we're going. You can't. You must forsake sin and by faith turn to God in Christ in order to be saved and converted. Peter goes on to say in verse 39, For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. This gospel truth applies to everyone. Okay? Earlier in this sermon, Peter quoted the Old Testament and he said, Whoever, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So there is this calling of God as, as he draws us to himself. And then by faith it causes us to call on the name of the Lord in order to be saved. And according to these verses, whenever that happens and whenever we are saved, we get two things. Now apparently I'm much more excited about this than you are, right? So come on, get in here with me. When you call on the name of the Lord, two things happen to you. Are you ready for them? Yes. Number one, you are forgiven of your sins. The slate is wiped clean. 
God no longer holds any of these against you. They have been, all your sins have been cast into the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered again. Isn't that great? Forgiveness. Just think about that, man. Everything you've ever done that's bad and wrong, that, that bothers you at night and keeps you awake, that is forgiven. God doesn't hold it against you anymore. Wouldn't it be great to walk out of here today with a clean slate? Huh? Yeah, some of you golfers, y'all been golfing before, and, and everybody on the tee box, all four of your buddies, y'all all hit bad shots. And you look over at each other and say, how about a do-over? Let's have a mutually agreed do-over, and let's just do this over again, you know? And if everybody agrees, you hit another tee shot. But you know what? You can leave today with a do-over in life. Everything can be forgiven. So that's the first gift that you get. The second gift is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Not only does He take your sins away in their place as He takes those sins out of your life, He deposits inside of you the Holy Spirit. So now you have God's Holy Spirit living inside of you. That's what happens at conversion. That's what happens when a person gets saved. The old man becomes a new man. What a deal, man. Third thing that happens is confession. Verse 38, then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized. He's saying right here, here's what you, you need to go public with your faith. You need to confess to the world that you are a new believer in Jesus Christ. You are no longer held as a slave to sin. You've been set free and you're following Christ now. You confess that through baptism. Later it says that 3,000 new believers were baptized that day. So what is baptism? Baptism is an outward symbol of an inward change that has taken place in our heart. We were convicted of our sins. We, con we, were, we were converted. That is, Jesus came into our heart when we repented. And then we confessed through baptism that Jesus is Lord of our life. Think of it like wedding rings, all right? Kind of like a wedding ring. The exchange of rings between the bride and the groom is really the climax of the wedding ceremony. I usually do it at the, almost at the very end of every cere wedding ceremony I have. I'll say something like this. I'd say, I'd say, you will now give and exchange rings as symbols of the vows of faith and love that you have just taken. A marriage ring says, I love someone special. Okay? It's an outward symbol, I say, of an inner commitment just like baptism symbolizes conversion. That's what I say in a wedding ceremony. That ring is just like baptism. It symbolizes the inner change that has happened on the inside. Now, ladies, just think back. What, what if you got to the altar on your wedding day and it came that time in the ceremony for the groom to, to give you your ring and he leaned over instead and whispered into your ear, Honey, I've been thinking about this. And you know, those wedding rings are, are really, they're a big deal about nothing. They cost a whole lot of money, and, and they're really not that big of a deal. I just decided not to give you a ring today, honey. Is that okay? Can you say bridezilla? Because that's probably what the bride is going to turn into. No, you, you want that wedding ring. Why? Because di di a diamond is a girl's best friend, and, and you love those diamonds. But you know what? More than that... It's what the wedding ring says. I'm committed to somebody. 
I love somebody. I've, I've, I've committed my life to this other person, and I'm off limits. That's kind of what else it says, you know. I'm, I just wish people would, would uh, realize that, and, you know. Anyway, that's for a different sermon, isn't it? A wedding ring says, I love someone special. I'm committed to somebody. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father which is in heaven. And really, that, that's what baptism is all about. What is baptism? It is an outward testament, an outward symbol of what has happened to you on the inside. Question number two, why should I be baptized? Why get baptized? Well, many people don't understand why they need to be baptized. I've, I've heard all kinds of reasons or excuses. Uh, somebody might say, well, you know what, I was sprinkled when I was a kid. I've heard people say, you know what, I'm, just af I'm afraid of the water. I've seen what Brother Johnny does to those little kids and... I, I'm petrified. I'm, I'm afraid to, to do that. Or I'm embarrassed. You know, I really am embarrassed to get up in front of everybody and, and do something like that and get my hair wet. Or I'm afraid of what my family might say. They may be offended. Excuse, excuse, reason after reason. So really, let's get down to it. Why get baptized? Well, I think the answer is very clear from the Word of God. Baptism is the biblical way for believers to publicly confess their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Literally, we're going public with our faith. You know, the, the Bible says, don't be ashamed of Christ. Well, when we get baptized, we're not being ashamed of Jesus. We're telling the world, you know, I belong to Him now. I'm on God's team. I joined the army of God. Yeah? I'm going public with my faith. That's why you need to be baptized. Let, let me first tell you why not to be baptized. We are not baptized in order to be saved. Okay, let me say it like this. Read my lips. Baptism does not save you. You can be dunked a half zillion times in a baptistry, but it's not going to wash away your sins. Baptism doesn't save you. And, and we need to carefully interpret verse 38 of Acts chapter 2 or we might draw the wrong conclusion. Listen to what the verse says. Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, it could be that by reading this particular verse, you come to the conclusion that, it, that in order to be saved, you've got to be baptized. In, in order for my sins to be forgiven, I first have to be baptized. But that is not the message of the gospel. That's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, there is a principle of interpreting scriptures that simply says, no scripture, when rightly interpreted, will teach something that is contrary to the rest of the Bible. All right? The rest of scripture clearly teaches us that we are saved by faith alone. It's just faith that saves us. Let me just give you a couple of verses, some that you know. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That verse doesn't say anything about baptism, but it's all about faith, believing in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, 
lest any man should boast. So if baptism could save you, it would nullify these verses and many others because baptism is a work. No, church, listen to me. We are baptized because we are saved, not in order to be saved. The proper interpretation of Acts 2.38 is that we repent for the forgiveness of our sins. We repent. We ask Jesus to come into our hearts. And then, as a symbol of that, we're baptized. Baptism doesn't save you any more than wearing a wedding ring makes you married. Wearing a wedding ring doesn't make you married. What makes you married? It's when you stand before the preacher and you just sign your life away. Oh, you didn't think that was funny, did you? When you make that inner commitment, that's what it's all about. Now, let me give you a few reasons why you should follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Here's why you should do it. Number one, Jesus modeled it for us. Remember, Jesus came to John the Baptist one day and said, John, I want you to baptize me. The Bible says John was a bit confused about that. Why would Jesus want or need to be baptized? So Jesus went on to say to him in Matthew 3.15, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And so because of that, John consented. Jesus didn't need to be baptized for the reason we need to be baptized, but Jesus wanted to be baptized to demonstrate how important it is that we are baptized. So why do I get baptized? Number one, Jesus modeled it. Number two, Jesus commanded it. Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So, baptism is a matter of obedience to the command of Jesus Christ. Now, some of you here today are struggling with whether or not you're saved. You've got questions in your mind. Was I, was I really saved? Did God really forgive me of my sins? Am I really a child of God? And one of the reasons you may be struggling with whether or not you're saved is because you've never followed God. You've, you've never been obedient to His command because you've never gone public with your faith in Jesus. You see, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And you're struggling today because you've never admitted openly in the way that the New Testament tells us to do so by being baptized. So you're never going to really know the joy of your salvation. You're never going to really enjoy that walk with Jesus and have that personal relationship with Him until you obey Him and until you are baptized. Jesus never called secret disciples. He wants us to go public with our faith. And so Jesus modeled baptism. Jesus commanded baptism. And number three, here's the reason you need to be baptized. Baptism is a public step of membership in a local church. Verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So we learn from this that the people who were saved were expected to be baptized. Baptized. 
They counted and they kept track of the people who were baptized because they were becoming a part of the church. Some people tell me all that numbers don't matter. Well, apparently they matter to God. They matter to me because you know what? They represent people. So I care about how many people are here. I care about how many people we baptize because those numbers represent real people. So believers, baptism is the door of membership into a local church where you need to be involved as a believer. So let me say it like this. Wake up and listen to this, all right? Here's what we require at Kavanaugh Church for you to be a member of this church. First and foremost is that you have repented of your sins and you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, all right? That you're saved. Second thing we require is that you've been baptized by immersion, believer's baptism. Now, we don't require that you be baptized in our baptistry or in this church, but we do require that you have been baptized. Why? Because it's a command from the Lord, all right? And then there are other things that I'll get into a little bit later, like we want you to live the life (laughs) that a Christian is called to live. So why should I be baptized? Well, Jesus modeled it. Jesus commanded it. And in order to be a member of a church, you've got to be baptized, all right? So number three, question number three, when should I be baptized? Answer is, a person should be baptized as soon as possible after they've been saved. Verse 41, then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 people were added to them. They were saved and baptized that very day. And then later on in Acts chapter 8, we read about this Ethiopian man who was saved when a deacon named Philip got into his chariot and shared the gospel with him. As they were traveling down the the road, it says in Acts chapter 8 verse 38 that the Ethiopian gave orders to stop the chariot. He yelled out, stop this rig. That's found in the King James Version right there. Stop this rig. Not really. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. So as soon as he was saved, he wanted to be baptized. This consistent pattern is in the New Testament. It's that a new believer is baptized as soon as possible after they've been saved. Now, here's the word I have for you today. Listen to this. Some of you need to get your baptism on the right side of your salvation. The order is this. You've been saved. You accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And then as quickly as possible after that, you're baptized. Now, this is the way it is for a lot of people. Maybe earlier in their life, they they went forward during a church service and, and they thought that they wanted to be baptized. But looking back on it now, they realize that, you know what? They got the... The, the cart before the horse. They truly weren't saved. They truly didn't invite Jesus into their heart. But since then, they have been saved. If that is your case, you need to get your baptism on the right side of your conversion. Does that make sense? Let me just tell you a story. At the end of the first service, a lady came up to me, older than I am. She said, I am so glad you preached that sermon. And you know what? You describe me to a T. I was baptized when I was young, when I was a teenager. But now looking back on it, I realize I wasn't really saved. 
I, I just got baptized because it was kind of the thing to do and other people were being baptized. But it really didn't mean anything to me because I wasn't a believer. Since then, I've given my heart to Jesus. And I've lived for Christ a long time, but I've never followed him in believer's baptism. So would you baptize me? I said, yes, ma'am, I sure will. And in the future, we're going we're gonna to baptize her really soon, all right? So, so that's what I'm talking about. You need to get your baptism on the right side of your conversion. And for you parents, let me just tell you, when your kids uh, say they've been saved and they want to be baptized, that's why Brother Johnny takes them into his office with you along with, as their parent, and he really talks to them. I mean, Johnny talks to them on their level, and he makes sure that they understand because we really don't want a kid growing up later in life saying, you know what, I, I did that when I was a kid, but it really didn't mean anything to me because I, I really wasn't saved. We want you to know you're saved and then follow the Lord in Christian baptism. That brings me to question number four. How many, how many questions did I say we were going to answer? Four. That means we're almost at the end. Unless I think of some more questions between now and then. Here it is, number four. How should I be baptized? And the answer is, new believers should be baptized by immersion in water. Now remember, baptism is a symbol. It's a picture. It's a snapshot. It's about something that happened to Jesus Christ. Really, it's about his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Listen to the way Paul described it in Romans chapter 6. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So it is a picture of what happened to Jesus. What happened to Jesus on the cross? He died. He gave his life as a ransom for many. Our sins were heaped upon his body as he died on the cross. He shed his blood to take your sins away. Jesus died on the cross. What did they do? They took his body and buried it in a tomb. Praise God, he didn't stay there, did he? Three days later, he rose in newness of life. So this is a picture not only of Jesus Christ, this is a picture of what happens to us. Like Jesus, we have died to our sins. When we invite Jesus into our heart, the old man is gone. God makes us new creatures in Jesus Christ. And so we've buried the old man to make way for the new man. And just as the picture of Jesus dying on the cross and being buried in the tomb and being raised again, so we also show that in baptism. When I get a person up into the baptistry to baptize them, what do we do? We take them under the water, symbolizing they have died to the old person. We're burying the old man. Here's what I tell them before we get in the water. I tell them, rest assured, I will not leave you under the water. I will bring you back up out of the water. Now, I do that for a couple of reasons. Number one, it, it, it just brings a calm assurance on their heart. <laughs> they know they're not going to drown up there. Number two, and I tell them I've never lost anybody, all right? So, 
But number two, what a powerful picture it is. Not only for that person, but for the rest of us who get to see it. The old man is buried, but when we pull that person up out of the water, it represents the new creature they are in Jesus Christ. Old things have passed away, and behold, everything has become brand new. They are a new person in the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason the New Testament calls for baptism by immersion is that immersion represents these two truths. That we have died, that we have been buried under the water, and that we have been brought back new to life, just as Jesus Christ was resurrected. Now, immersion tells us that. It symbolizes that in a way that, that sprinkling or pouring doesn't. Some of you have asked the question, well, what about other denominations and religions that, that sprinkle babies? Well, I can just tell you, that is not New Testament baptism. It's not. Every instance of baptism in the New Testament is by immersion in water, not by sprinkling. So baptism is intended to be a powerful witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection and the new life that we have in Him. Now, I have a vantage point in baptisms that you don't have. You kind of got a little piece of it or a picture of it through that video. And wasn't that great? Next time we do it, I, I want an underwater camera. Yeah? That would really be cool, wouldn't it? To, to see them go under the water. And, man, that'd be awesome. But here's my vantage point. When I take a person under the water and pull them back up out of the water, I get to see directly, because I'm right there, I get to see the water rush away from their eyes and their nose and their mouth. And I'm here to tell you, it, it, it happens almost every time I baptize a person. When I pull them up out of the water and that, that water is just cascading off of their face, they generally put a big smile on their face. And there's kind of a glow to their face. Why? Because they know what's just happened to them. They understand what has just transpired. That they are representing what Jesus has done in their heart and soul and that they are new people in the Lord Jesus Christ. What a great picture. What a great picture of what has happened to us on the inside when we invite Jesus into our heart. Now, I've said all that about baptism for this right here. It's the invitation. Two things. Two things I want you to do. Number one, here's what we need to do today. Number one, you ready? Number one, we need to repent. These people said, what do we do? Peter said, repent, repent. Now maybe you're here today and you've never repented of your sins. You've never invited Jesus into your heart. You can do that today. And he will wash all of your sins away. He won't hold them against you any longer. You can walk out of this building a new person in Jesus Christ, a new perspective on life, and a new home in heaven. What a great deal. Repent. You know what? That repentance is also for us as believers because sometimes we need to repent. Okay? So when I say all of us today need to repent, what I'm really saying to you as believers is you need to make sure everything is right between you and God. I mean, I never want there to be a wedge between me and the Lord. It's not a good way to live life. 
And so maybe as you've lived out in the world this past week, the, the world has contaminated you and you've been thinking things that you shouldn't have thought or you, you've said some things that you shouldn't have said or there's a, there's a root of bitterness that is growing in your heart and it's, it's strangling your relationship with the Lord. Whatever it is, today you need to come and just repent of that. Don't be offended that I tell you that because I, I'm telling you because I love you. you. You need to repent. First thing, repent. Make sure everything's right between you and God. The second thing you need to do, be baptized. That's what he said. Repent and be baptized. So if you're here today and you've been saved but you've never been baptized, as soon as the service is over with, talk to one of our pastors. Talk to me or Jason or Ray or one of the other guys and, and say, hey, I want to be baptized. We'll talk to you about that and, and we'll schedule that. But you know what? As I dig deeper into that, just like I dug a little deeper into repentance, what baptism really is saying is this, you're going public with your faith. So my challenge to you today as a believer is this, number one, make sure everything's right between you and the Lord. And number two, go public with your faith. This is not some secret society that we're in. We are here to make a difference in this world. You're to go out tomorrow and make an impact in the world in which you live. You can't do that as a secret disciple of Jesus Christ. You've got to go public with your faith. So Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us to do these two things today. Number one, repent. Make sure everything is right between us and you. And number two, be baptized. Go public with our faith. Lord, for those who just need to come and pray this morning, I, I ask that you would make it easy for them to come and pray. Lord, I pray that you would be with each person here. Help us to have that, that deep and lasting walk with you. Lord, for those who just need to come and, and cry out to Abba Father this morning, cry out to the Heavenly Father, Lord, help us to, to feel the freedom to do that. Lord, help us to know there are others in this church who need our support in prayer. And so, Lord, I pray that many would come today and pray for Tiffany and Sydney and Ronnie and Susan as they grieve the death of their son-in-law and their father. Lord, I know others in this church are having some difficult times just living life and making right decisions. And, and I want to lift them up to you today. Strengthen them, Lord. Let them feel your presence. And may they cry out to you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask that you stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. Praise team is going to sing.